thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. I'm going to take you to a text in the Gospel of John, chapter 16. The Gospel of John and chapter 16. So if you'll go there with me and you can follow along uh, in your Bible, which might be a different translation than what I'm going to read here. Uh, and I'm going to read this text actually out of the New Living Translation this time. It really needs clarity, and it's not that it can't, we can't get it from a New King James or any other uh, translation, but I think this one would be best uh, describe it in more of our language, and hopefully we'll be able, be able to understand. Now, here's what I want to do. I, this is a teaching. Now, there's a difference between a teaching and preaching. I don't know if you know it, but this really is a, is a teaching. It's something that I, I really want us to think about, this text, because to me, there are three great truths that are found in this particular section that we're going to read. But let me bring you up to date where we're at. The Gospel of John chapter 16. These are the last words uh, of Jesus. I mean, if you look at the text, the Gospel of John, chapters 12, all the way up through 16, prior to getting to chapter 17, these are words, instructions that Jesus gives literally hours before he was to die. So there were a lot of things that were being taught. He was teaching, reminding them of the promises of God, which the Word does, and they are uplifting when you, when you talk about the promises of God and his faithfulness to fulfill those promises. But there was a lot of warnings that were given by Jesus. Uh, warnings not only how you should live your life in the days ahead, but warnings that there are days of persecution coming. There, there are days of uh, great pressure that you're going to face as believers in Jesus Christ. He was laying it out the way it was going to be. It wasn't just pie-in-the-sky platitudes that he was talking about, and the Scriptures aren't written that way. They were written to give the truth exactly the way it is. So the truth about persecution was going to take place. And then he gets to this particular chapter, John 16, and uh, he's giving his last words. So I, I want to read verses 23 through 33, verses 23 through 33, and you should have received a, a sheet, a blank sheet it is, just with the title on it, but we're going to talk about this hope that is born, but hope that overcomes, and this is John chapter 16, begin with John chapter 16, let me read it and follow along, and we're going to go back on it then as we make our points. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything, Jesus speaking. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly. He will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. 
I have spoken of these matters in figures of speech. And of course, we know those to be parables that he taught in parables. But soon I will stop speaking figuratively and will tell you plainly all about the Father. Then you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. Yes, I came from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. Then his disciples said, at last you are speaking plainly and not figuratively. Now we understand that you know everything, and there's no need to question you, for this we believe that you came from God. Jesus asks, do you finally believe? But the time is coming, indeed is here, now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Deep in the, the heart of all people, there is a need for three realities. And those three realities or truths are brought out in this section that I just read. And I want to point them out to you, and then we're going to talk about them individually. But all people need these things in their lives to live an abundant, joyful, peaceful life that God has promised. We need these truths in our lives, not only during the good times, but more importantly, we need these truths when things aren't going so well, when there's persecution, when there are people even within your own house that don't agree with your walk with Christ, and you'll be persecuted for it. There are people on the job that will persecute you for it. So it's not going to be easy. There are going to be stresses. There are going to be trials. There are going to be sorrows in life. Just the life brings that. Life on this earth as it is just brings those things into your life. And you're going to need these truths. And that's why Jesus spoke to them right before he left this earth. There are three basic needs. Let me give them to you. And then we'll go back over them. There's the need for love. There's the need for love. The need to be loved. The need to be loved unconditionally. It's a key word there. Unconditionally. The need to be loved by someone who knows all your faults and he still loves you. <laughs> Amazing thing. The second truth. The need for someone to believe in or to trust. There's a need for Someone to love you, and there's a need for you to believe in someone, someone that you can trust. Someone to believe, someone concerned with your well-being. Someone into whose hands you can place your life. Someone who is powerful enough and has the resources to secure them in the midst of an insecure world. Because that's what we face unsurety, uncertainty about this world. So there's the need for someone to love them, a need for someone to care for them, 
who has the power to rescue them from all their troubles. And then thirdly, the need for hope. There's a need for hope. We need to know that there's a future for us. That's hope. We need to know that there's a future. That we're able to, we need to be reminded that we're able to see the light at the end of the tumble, a tunnel in the, in the midst of persecution. It's not always going to be like this. There's going to be some benefit that will come out of it because you have a future. And in that future, you're going to see the benefit. You might not see it now, but someone to be able to tell us that we have a future. To know that someone has a plan and someone has a purpose for us. And that somewhere in the future, something good is going to happen. You might not see it now, but something in the future. So someone to love you, someone you can trust, and someone to care for you, to rescue you, to deliver you, to lift you above your problems, and then someone to give you a future. Those three promises come to all people who believe in Jesus Christ. If you become a follower of Jesus Christ, these three things are given to you. I don't believe that there's a majority of people that just are not living above their circumstances. It's hard for them to grasp how the promise of joy in the midst of turmoil could really be theirs. Or that peace that passes all understanding, can, can that be a reality in my life? And the only reason that we would think that way or have that kind of approach or attitude toward it is because we haven't grasped all that Jesus has done for us, all that God has done for us. And it's those three things that we have in Christ. We have those things. They come out of these three realities. Okay, now our text is John chapter 16. He spoke all kinds of promises, but here he begins to lay out not only the promises, but the problems that they're going to have, and then how they can overcome them. But think about what the disciples had at this time. When Jesus is speaking to them, think about what they had. Now, he's telling them about the trials, the sufferings, the persecution, but he's also giving them another message and has been doing so all throughout these chapters, this letter in John, and you pick it up at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. What has he been telling them? That he's going to die and he's going to leave them. He's going to die and he's going to leave them. If you think about that long enough, you understand the stress and the pressure this put on their lives. Because the three basic things that man needs, Jesus provided for those disciples. They knew Jesus loved them. They knew that. That he loved them unconditionally because they blew it over and over and over again. And Jesus would come right back and continue on with them. So Jesus loved them. They also had someone to believe in. They, they saw his power to deliver people. They saw it manifested through his ministry. So they had come at this point in their life, three and a half years following him, that they could believe in him. 
They could trust in him. And they also believed and they had a future and they had a hope. Can you imagine? Now, here, here was their hope. Jesus was the promised Messiah. This is what their fathers had been talking about. This is what all of Israel has been looking for. And now it's in Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. And as they see, this is their hope. This is the hope that we've been waiting for, that we have a future. Because Jesus is here, we're, we have a future. We're going to, once again, be a nation that's head of the nation. So they were thinking a little, little off, but they still had a hope in Jesus. And because they had these three basic needs... Uh, they were able just to feel the comfort of Jesus being around. But now that he's going to go, now let me talk about them, okay? Let's talk about this first one, the need for love. Going back to verse 23 through 27, go back and let's look at it again. The need for love. Jesus said, at that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly. Now think, think, I want you to note that. We're going to talk about it. Father directly. He will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. They, they, they hadn't operated this way before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. I have spoken of these matters in figures of speech, but soon I will stop speaking figuratively and will tell you plainly all about the Father. Then you will ask in my name. I am not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me. Now, that last sentence there. The Father himself loves you dearly because you love me. During Jesus' ministry, he always pointed all peoples to the Father. He would constantly remind them that he was sent by the Father, that he and the Father were one. What he says, he says on behalf of the Father. So he would remind them. All through his ministry, Jesus had been revealing God the Father. When you think about it, he revealed the Father and God is revealed in Christ. That's what the scriptures tell us. All the time revealing God's love for them at the same time. God loves you. That's God's not angry with you. He's certainly angry with our sin, but he loves you. He's, Jesus is saying there's still some things that I would love to explain, but I cannot and the reason Jesus could not, and that's the reason you find this in the Gospel of John, where he kept saying to them at the end, you know, I, I can't tell you all things, but the Spirit is going to come, and then he will reveal these things to you. Do you ever wonder why Jesus couldn't tell them? Because they hadn't happened yet. When Jesus was speaking to them, he was speaking to them before the arrest, before the trial, before the crucifixion, before the death, before the burial, before the resurrection, for, for Jesus to start talking about something that didn't happen would have been too confusing. So he said, do you remember it's expedient that I go that I might send the Holy Spirit? Now, sometimes we believe that, and it's partially true, that when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit in the believer can spread out all around the world, whereas Jesus was limited to a location. And that's part of the truth. But it was expedient for 
Jesus to leave to send the Holy Spirit because then the Holy Spirit could then teach him and put it all together from the, from the promises of Jesus to come, through the birth of Jesus, through his life, through his death, his burial and resurrection, and it would all come together. Did you understand that? This is what the Holy Spirit will do, and that's the value of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus is referring to the value of the Holy Spirit coming and that he's going to teach you the rest of these truths. He said in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but not now, you won't understand them. That's what verse 12 says, John 16. Jesus in this text is bringing new revelation. Before he leaves, he's bringing new, new revelation. And the revelation is this, that they would be able to go directly to the Father. The Father himself loves you why? Because you love the Son. That they could go directly to the Father. Now, what's the revelation in that? Revelation is that is that they were at arm's length from any relationship with the Creator, God the Father. They were kept away because their practice in coming to God was what? They would sacrifice, give it to the priest, the priest would take it, lay it on the altar, move into the holy place, and not even into the holy of holies, but one time a year. So all of their teaching up to that time was, we, are, we have limited access to God. We can't just go directly to God. And Jesus is telling him now, you can go, you'll be able to go directly to the Father in heaven because he loves you because you love me. Now hold on to that. And that, that's, that's what's happening here. Because you love the Son, the Father loves you. And that's what the Scriptures teach us. So he's revealing that they'll have direct access, but more than that, he's revealing them that God wants you to come to him. He loves you. He wants to hear your request. He, he wants to converse with you. We all know that there are religions, and I grew up in one, where we were taught we had limited access to God. In other words, we couldn't go directly. We had to go to someone. We could tell someone our problems, and then they were to tell God our problems. Well, that's the way it was. That's how the enemies continued to try to keep man from understanding you have direct access to God because he loves you when you love the Son. There was a story that I came to my memory while I was, came to this particular point. And the story is of a father and son relationship. And the father and son relationship was, was one that they had, they had something in common. They loved art and they loved paintings. And they collected, and the father had collected some very valuable Rembrandts, Picassos, Van Gogh paintings. So he was a wealthy man. During the Vietnam War, the son went to war, and he was killed. But word had gotten back to the father that he was killed, reaching out to others and saving others. And uh, of course, this saddened the father much, that his son had died. One day, a young man came to his door, to his house, and he had a package in his hand and when he came in, he introduced himself. He said, listen, I, I knew your son. Matter of fact, not only did I know your son, 
Your son was carrying me to safety when a bullet hit him in the heart. And he died. And he said, I, I drew, I did a, I'm not a great artist. He said, I fool around with it, but I drew, drew a portrait of your son because we were very close. So he unveiled, he unpackaged it, and it was a portrait of his son. The father was overwhelmed by this, of course. He took that portrait and he put it in the center of his house above the mantel. He had all kinds of paintings throughout his house, but that's where he put that. And anyone who would come to the house, the first thing that he would show them was the portrait of his son before he showed them anything else. He was proud of that painting, of course, proud of his son. A few months later, a few years later, the father died, passed away. And uh, all of these paintings and all of these possessions that he had were going to be auctioned off. So when it came to the day of the auction, there were people that flew in from all over the world because they wanted to be able to bid on these rare paintings that this father had. So the auctioneer got ready and the room was packed. And as they begin to start the auction, the first painting that was brought out was the painting of the sun. And when they brought it out, he said, this is the first one that's gone off for bid. And immediately there were voices from the crowd that were saying, we're not interested in that. We are interested in, in these rare paintings, the Van Goghs, the Picassos, the Rembrandts. When are they coming out? That's what we're interested in. But auctioneer continued with it. He said, bid. Do I have a bid? Do I have a bid? And he started at $100. And again, the crowd was getting restless as he continued and persisted to ask for someone to respond to the bidding for this, for this painting, this portrait. A hand went up from the back, and it happened to be the gardener of the man's house. He was their gardener, and he was, wasn't wealthy at all. As a matter of fact, he was poor. He bid $10, and will I hear any more, any more than 10 So for $10, the auctioneer put down the gavel, and when he put it down, the auction was over. And he, began, he said, the auction's over. And outrage came from the crowd. Why, why? He said, there was a stipulation in the will that whoever buys the portrait of the son gets all the other paintings in the estate. Think about that for a moment. If you get the son, <laughs> you get everything else. And when you find Jesus Christ, you get everything else. And that's what Jesus is saying here. In a way, he's saying, listen, he says, because you have followed me and because you have loved me, what has happened, and he, he was painting this broader picture for all of mankind, would you come to Christ and you latch on to Christ and you love him and serve him and obey him and follow him, you get the Father. That's the, you, you begin to understand the Father's love that would send his son, who we love, to die for your sins. We need someone to love. Now, the good news, God loves you even though he knows everything about you. And that's the way God's love is. So how do you get that love? How do you get the love of the Father? Love the Son. Love Jesus. The second basic need that we have is the need for trust. To trust someone. To believe in someone. To latch on to someone that, that we could believe on. Verse 27, 
all of it says, for the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me. That's point number one. And then it goes on to say, and believe that I came from God. I want to say that again. Listen carefully. He was saying, and because you believe that I came from God. Do you know what was being said there by the disciples? I mean, it was just as a total revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, starting at the birth of Christ, because you believe that I came from God. In other words, the disciples at that point weren't saying he's a good teacher, and that's what, or he's a good philosopher, or he's a good this, or he's a guru, or this or that. No, they, they, he was all those things to people, but more than that, the revelation and the inspiration of God's Spirit on them was this. He came from God. By making that statement, they were believing in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Because you came from God, so the virgin birth was reality to them at that time, that they believed the testimony in the story of Jesus that he was born of Mary, a virgin, conceived by what? The Holy Spirit. He came from, you, you believe that he came from God. In other words, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. He was both God and man. Now that ought to excite you. Hopefully, maybe you're just thinking about it later on. You're going to shout when you're in the shower or something like that. Jesus came from the Father. And that's what he was saying. And you believe that. And because you believe that, you not only have someone who loves you unconditionally, but you have someone to believe in and believe all he promised he will perform. The third thing, the need for hope. The need for hope. And I'm going to read verse 33 again. This is the last verse of the content of this particular finishing off his teaching. Jesus speaking. He said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, Jesus has been telling them about future persecutions they're going to face, future sorrows, troubles, distress, frustrations. He's letting them know that this is coming. But then he comes to this place in this one verse where he said, but take heart, be of good cheer, take courage. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Did, were you ever in a, in a position where you were just stressed out, things piling up, and, and it, it's not only obvious to you, but it's obvious to maybe your closest friend. Now, out of good intentions, your close friend will do this. You know, cheer up. It's going to be okay. And it, and it brings it in a realm, and I'm not saying that the good intentions aren't needed by all of us. We need to feel those from our friends. But at the best, it's like a pep talk. You know, it's like, come on, just pull it together. You'll be okay. It's all going to work out for good. Now, unless you're referring that God's going to come and you're just doing that pep talk, there's something, there's something real void there happening. And here's why. It's more than a pep talk. Here's the difference 
Jesus was saying it. Jesus is saying it here. And here's, here is the, the neat thing about this. This Greek word for take courage or take heart or be of good cheer. Listen carefully to this. It, Jesus, in this context, he is the only one that ever says it. When he told them along the way that they could be encouraged and they have a future, any positive thing, he used this word to take heart. He's the only one that ever used that word. Now, that's the difference between one of us saying it to our friend and Jesus actually speaking it to their heart. When Jesus speaks those words, you can take heart. And it was him speaking it. You could be. Why? Because God loves you. You believe in me. I have the power to do it. And I'm the one that has a future and a hope for you. And that's what Jesus said. So the disciples were questioning how they survive. And Jesus cheers them up. <laughs> take heart. Because you are loved by God. You're in God's everlasting care. And God has a promise for your future. Now, what are those three things? Faith, hope, and love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there abides three things. Three things will continue throughout eternity. What? Faith, hope, and love. And that's the three things our basic needs are that. We need to have love of God the Father. Other loves expressed to us are great, fine, but doesn't match when we, revelation comes to us. God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, loves me, and I can go and talk to him. There's great comfort in that. In the midst of any persecution, there's great, great comfort in that. And Jesus came and died for my sin, and he has the power over death and hell and the grave and sin in my life. I have something to believe in. And then I have a hope of a future because Jesus said that he's going to come back for me someday. He's going to say that all things work for good in your life and you might not understand it now, but the hope is you will understand it someday. It will all come together. Not only that, you will be in my presence someday, removed from all of these earthly woes and sorrows and troubles that you have. You will be in my presence. It's a hope for the future. Now, let me bring it back, and we'll end with two verses. Let me bring it back to the announcement of the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter 2, look at this. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. I mean, it came in the midst of darkness, this world and, 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 and the people that were in darkness. And he says, you're going to have great joy. Jesus coming, and you can see why now. Go to verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward all men. Those angels, probably under the instruction of God himself, were able to speak those words. And maybe they didn't totally understand yet. But they were speaking the words in behalf of God because God saw the end from the beginning. God sees the end from the beginning. So as we celebrate the birth of Christ, what we need to understand, we need to see the end from the beginning, what Jesus has offered us through this birth. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, 
www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.